Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. So that opener is our two little girls arguing constantly about who is the boss of the house. This is a daily occurrence, and my favorite part about it is our Audrey, our youngest, is she's a little pest. She just is. She's cute as can be, but she is a pest. And her sister, Brooklyn, is she everything is literal to her. So Audrey understands that if I say I'm the boss, that it is just going to mess Brooklyn up. She is going to be ruined, and it works every single time. And Audrey's like, Mommy, Daddy's not the boss. I'm the boss. No, you're not. Brooklyn's running around the house screaming and crying. She said she's the boss, and she's not the boss. It's a never-ending battle in our house with them. So they are such a trip. You are not the boss is Brooklyn's constant statement to Audrey. And you know what? If we're honest with ourselves, you and I, we have this argument with ourselves all the time, right? We, we want to feel like we are the boss. We're in control of our lives. We're in control of our emotions and our mindset and our, our perception of how things are going. Like, we want to feel like we're the boss of our lives. But we'll see this, our our big point for today, this overarching idea that we're going to talk about is on the screen. The true boss in our life is whoever sits on the throne of our heart. Whoever sits on the throne of our heart. Our heart is one of, if not the most vital organ in our body, right? And for me, I I learned this uh, in a really interesting way a few years back. Um, Lauren and I had just moved um, to Georgia, and we were we were there. And uh, you know, when the last couple years of us of living in Alabama, I'd kind of let myself go. Like I was pretty miserable with everything, and and I'd gotten bigger than I'd ever been in my entire life. And so when we got to Georgia, I was like, I'm done. So I was I was on this weight loss journey, and I, I lost 30 pounds from where I was at, and man, I was, I was in the gym. I love it still to this day. Like, you wanna talk about the gym, let's go talk about the gym. Like, I'm fine with that. I work out as, as many days in the week as I can. I just, I just enjoy it. And so we're on this journey, and I'd lost a bunch of weight. I was feeling good, and you know, nothing was gonna stop me from going to the gym. It just, nothing was gonna, not even the common cold that I caught, and I, I know what you're thinking. You went to the gym? spreading all those germs. Like I said, I was hooked. I was addicted. I was just like, this is awesome. So I went to the gym and I was working out. I was feeling a little sick. I did my normal routine, no big deal. And uh, a couple of days later, I just, I started feeling worse and worse and worse. I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll go, I'll break down and I'll go to the doctor. So everything was going normally with the doctor until she stops and she has this really concerned face on and she says, um, are you an athlete? I was like, I mean, look at me. I mean, I lost a bunch of weight. I mean, I played sports my whole life. I mean, I've been playing baseball since I was three. I mean, come on. You know, I lost weight. I'm feeling good. I'm kicking butt. What's up? 
What's going on? She was not amused at all. Straight face. She was just like, no, like, are you a professional athlete? I was like, all right, well, okay. Sarcastically, look at me again. I'm five foot seven, still chubby around the middle. Do you, you think that I am a professional athlete? Come on. What are you thinking? Why are you asking me this? And the conversation took a turn, and she said, your heart rate is super low. Like, it's, it's really low to the point of, like, where a professional athlete's heart rate kind of hangs when they're just sitting, like, because their body is so in tune and built, and it, their heart doesn't have to work that hard. I was like, no, no, I'm not. She's like, well, I'm gonna, I need to send you to a cardiologist. It's like, all right, I'm freaking out a little bit now, just to be honest. Like, what is going on? So we went and we ran some tests, and we're, we're checking out some different things with my heart, and I did all the tests, and Laura and I were together, and we're just kind of like laughing and cutting up. And we're like, this is, this is going to be nothing. And the doctor walks in the room, and he wasn't smiling. He walks in, and he says, we've, we've, got a, uh, we've got a serious issue. It's like, what? What is going on? He said, You're, you've gotten a virus in your heart, and your heart is trying to shut itself down. What, what is, what do you mean? He's like, no, like literally where you're, the, the way your heart is functioning right now, you could go into cardiac arrest at any point. And I'd been working out and doing all this stuff, all with having this virus in my heart, having no clue. We were completely stunned, confused, scared, like panicking. You walk into a room expecting them to go, oh, everything's fine. And they're like, no, you could literally die at any point, and we, we don't really know why, other than you got a virus in your heart. And so his prescription was even more concerning because he was like, we're not going to put you on any medication. I just want you to go, and I want you to kind of like rest for a month. No working out, no stressful things at work. Like basically you're on bed rest for a month, and let's see if your heart can heal itself. It's like, what? This is not any kind of news that we want at all. So we prayed and we cried and we freaked out and we were worried and we talked to our bosses and we talked to our family and, and went through all that and I rested and guess what happened? My heart healed itself. My heart healed itself and I've never had any issues since then. The virus cleared up and that was that. No medication, nothing. This virus found its way into my heart and, and with time it went away and it's it's just fascinating how God created our body to, to be able to do things like that. But what about your heart? What about your heart? Not your physical heart. Not your heart that pumps blood and, and keeps you going. Not, not that organ in your body that gets mad at you when you run 25 feet to the elevator. Like, not that heart. Not that physical heart. But what about your invisible heart? That heart that we talk about when we say you're, you're inviting Jesus to come into your heart, we, we know it's not our physical heart. That heart that, you know, was, was pretty disappointed in middle school when your crush put you in the friend zone. You know, that, that invisible heart that is just full to the brim when your kids do something really awesome and you're just thrilled. That invisible heart that gets excited every time Brian McKnight comes on over the intercom at the grocery store, or Iris from Goo Goo Dolls, and I'm up in the, the cereal aisle like, and I tell all the world. Yeah, like that, that heart, that invisible heart in our life. When was the last time you asked yourself, how's my heart? 
When's the last time you asked yourself, who's actually sitting on the throne of my heart? What's actually leading my heart? And, and I know, I know, we're sitting in church, and, and you are the holy ones because football just kicked off about 20 minutes ago, and you're, you're in here right now, and you're like, well, Jesus, right? That's what we want to say. But if we're honest with ourselves, more times than not, there's something else that's running our lives. More times than not, there's, there's an emotion or a thought or, or this thing that we deal with that it, it fills our mind, it fills our hearts, it drives our actions, it drives what we do, it, it keeps us up at night, it wakes us up early in the morning. There's something else a lot of times in our life that's really sitting on the throne of our hearts. And look at this, we, we try to mask those hidden pains in our life and those hidden areas of our, in our life by modifying our behavior rather than actually monitoring our hearts, rather than actually going, wait a minute, where, where's my heart really at? What is really happening? We say the right things, we do the right things, we, we smile when we want to cry, we we put this fake face on, and, and we, we're even confused ourselves because we don't know what's real and what's fake because we're just trying to make sure that no one sees the pain that's happening within us. Honestly, us Christians, we're, we're some of the worst at this because we'll change our behavior to get away from the pain or get away from the guilt or, or the shame, but we never really deal with the problem. We never deal with that deep aspect of our hearts that haven't been healed. Unlike the virus in my heart that just went away, this virus doesn't go away. It requires attention. It requires treatment. And pretending works for a little while, but eventually your actions and your character gets affected by whatever is sitting on the throne of your heart. Just an example. Just think about it. Have you, have you ever said something or done something and as soon as it happened, everyone around you is like, whoa. And your immediate response is, I don't know where that came from, right? You lash out in anger in a conversation, and it's just like, oh, I don't know where that came from. That's not me at all. Or, or you, you say something, you, you, let a, you let one of those, you know, one of those random dark thoughts that you have about someone or about yourself slip out of your mouth, and you're like, oh, I didn't mean to say that. That came out. It came from your heart. It came from your heart. It's, it's this idea that we can hide it and mask it and do all of those things, but it comes from our hearts. And we try to change our behaviors to hide it. But you see, behavior modification is like trying to take a Tylenol when you cut your arm off. It, it doesn't matter. Like, you can try to mask the pain by taking a Tylenol, but there's a deep wound. There's something in your heart and your life that's missing, that needs healing. You see, Jesus, Jesus can be in your heart, but it doesn't mean he has full access. You can be a follower of Jesus, but it doesn't mean that you've given him total access to everything in your life to give him the chance to bring healing to it. Proverbs 4.23 says it this way, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Luke 6.45 says it this way, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. 
This is a huge line. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Those words that you say, those thoughts that you think, it flows from the health of your heart. Our heart is the source of everything that feeds our minds, our words, our actions. And in this series, we're going to look at four different key emotions that try to sit and fight for rulership in our hearts. We're going to look at four key emotions that, that their whole goal in their existence is to be the boss of your life. We're going we're gonna to tackle those. But the beauty of all four of these is that they have a common weakness. And the common weakness is that they lose their power when they're exposed to the light. They lose their effectiveness when we recognize them. They lose their power in our lives when we have a conversation with somebody and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Slowly and surely, their grip on the the throne of your heart loses power. So look at this. These are the four common enemies of our hearts that we're going to look at. It's guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. And there's there's a concept in this that I want to kind of set up this week before we, we go into the four of them. And it's this idea that each one of these, they're a debt creator in your life. They create this debt between you and someone else, whether that someone be you or with somebody else. These emotions all have a statement that create this, this gap between what's expected and what's really happening. We're going to look at the first one in just a second, but we have to understand that, that debt in our lives, if you have debt in your finances, you understand that that debt governs so much of what you do. It, it's in control because while you may want to be generous or you may want to go on that vacation or you may want to do that, you understand that this Wells Fargo account back here is the one that's really in control. Debt in our life governs what we do and that's what these, these emotions try to do in our life. And before we know it, these emotions make you feel like you can't control them. And they finally break free. Oh, I don't know where that came from. I'm, I'm not an angry person, but I, I don't know why I keep lashing out. I don't know. They're fighting for control in your life. And they get to the point where they create dysfunction in your heart. But what, what's so amazing about God and how he wired us. And we see this all throughout scripture. The truth about our heart is that our heart is always looking for someone or something to influence it. Our heart is constantly looking for a leader. Who's going to lead it? What's going to lead it? And the beauty is while anger or guilt or, or one of these key emotions may be running your life right now, the beauty of how God wired us is that it's always looking for a leader. And you can have God influence that and push that emotion. Eventually, it's a process, eventually push them off the throne and allow him to truly be the leader and the ruler of your life so that you can live in the fullness that he wants for you. We constantly see that throughout the Bible. The first, in the, in the time that we have remaining together, I want us to look at the very first enemy of our heart, and it's guilt. Guilt. Have you ever been guilted into doing something? Like, quick show of hands, someone guilted you into doing something? 
yes, yes. It doesn't have to be a, a bad thing. Like, for instance, maybe your goal for the weekend was, I'm going to sit my tail right here in the sofa and I ain't doing nothing else. And then your lovely spouse, man or wife, walks into the room and goes, honey, I totally forgot. I told Susie that we're going to go to the birthday party. And for a moment there, and this is me, for the moment there, I'm like, I ain't going to happen. My goal is to sit right here. I ain't going nowhere. And then the narrative starts, right? Right. Now, listen, you, we, you, you made me go to that work thing that you had to go to, and I came, and I got all dressed up, and I went to the work thing that you had, or you owe me, you made me do this. I've taken the trash out four times for you. You are coming to this birthday party with me. I've gone to the last three ones by myself. You are coming to this birthday party, and all of a sudden, the guilt builds up, and your willpower of, I'm not going nowhere, I'm sitting right here, that disappears, and your tail is at the birthday party wearing one of those stupid cone hats with the razor blades on the side that cut into your face every time. Why are the strings so sharp? I don't understand why those little hats are so dangerous. Guilt says this. Look at this. Guilt says, I owe you. Guilt says, I owe you. For whatever reason... For whatever set of circumstances, for whatever past mistake, whatever it is, you feel like you're in debt to someone. I owe you. We've even brought this into our vocabulary. Think about it. Think about what we say. Oh, man, I really owe them an apology. I owe them an apology. I, I, I should have done that. I, I owe them an apology. Why? Why, do, why is this idea there that we owe people? It's because our heart tells us that, that something we said or something that we did took something away from the other person. They were expecting something and we didn't measure up. They were wanting something and we didn't provide. There was an expectation and we didn't meet it and so therefore I owe you because I took something away because of what I said or my behavior. And we, we get this into our mind. That's where guilt gains its power. So we go on through life and in those small moments trying to rectify that. But in the bigger one, guilt, guilt really impacts all the decisions that we make. It carries over. It's, it's, I was telling the, the team before, there's so many times where it feels like even in the brightest, most joyful day in our life that guilt is like that cloud that's just waiting in the background, that's just hovering over everything that we do. Proverbs 22, 7 says it this way, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. So how do we find relief from this oppressive debt collector called guilt? How do we find it? And it's like we said, you expose it to the light. But listen, the light that exposes our secrets and frees our hearts from the guilt that we carry is confession. It's confession. Not like, not, not confession in like, yes, I'm the one who leaves the backwash in the bottle of the bottle and I just leave it there and someone else. Or confession like I'm the one that leaves the toilet roll there and I never change it. Not, not that kind of confession. Confession in a different and deeper way that we see in 1 John 1, 9, 
where it says this, but if we confess our sins to him, to Jesus, to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, this, this idea of confessing seems pretty simple, right? Like, wait, so I mess up. I just confess to God, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I should never do that again. God, And then, poof, it's all gone. Like, no more guilt, no more anything. Like, I just confess it to God, and it's all good, right? See, for me, I grew up, I grew up in New Orleans, which is predominantly Catholic. And so I had a lot of Catholic friends who were, their families were part of the Catholic Church, and, and so confession was a big deal to them. They, they thought they understood it. The premise was, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of what you did, you were able to go before a priest, and you would confess your sins, and they'd say, okay, well, you do this for penance, you do your penance, and then, poof, it's all gone. It's done. No guilt, no shame, nothing. It's always right with the world. Now, I understand that for true Catholic believers, that there's a lot more to it that goes into it. But for teenagers that I grew up with in the Catholic Church, that's how they understood it. Oh, I just got to go to the priest. It doesn't matter what I do. I'll just go to the priest. I'll confess it. And then everything's right with the world. No big deal. For me, I grew up in a church where they believed if you didn't pray all the prayers about Jesus, forgive me of these sins, you risked waking up in hell the next morning because you didn't pray, Jesus, forgive me for that thing and that thing and that thing and that thing. And it just was this, this weight of like, you better not, you better not forget. You better confess. You better go to sleep before you close your eyes at night. Jesus, forgive me for all the sins that I forgot, like all the sins, just forgive me. And as long as you did that, all was right. Except we knew that while that sin bucket was cleared for that night, the next day we would probably fill that sin bucket right back up again and have to do the same thing again. We can go to sleep understanding that everything was right. Because we think confession is guilt relief. But in the scriptures, confession was always connected to actual change. Confession was about this word that we talk about, repentance, where it's not just, hey, God, I'm sorry. It's, hey, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to turn away from it, and I'm going to do the opposite. Even in the, in, in the early Catholic church, early literature shows that you weren't allowed to confess the same sin over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like, once you did your penance, the, the expectation was that you change. Like that, that it's over, and somewhere along the line, we change that in our minds. But when Jesus hit the scene, he took it, of course, to a whole different level. Jesus always did that. He always took what was the old law, and he elevated it to a new and powerful, different set of circumstances. Because God followers, when Jesus was walking around, they would make sacrifices. They would sacrifice a dove or a lamb or, or an animal or whatever sacrifice it was to make them have right standing with God. And once that was done, they would move on, move forward. But Jesus blew everybody's minds when he said this in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. He says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, when you're going to do this thing to make yourself right with God, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, Stay there and do what you're continuing. No, 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 no. Verse 24, he says, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come 
and offer your sacrifices to God. Now, wait, wait a minute. Of course, of course, Jesus, you want us to like be good with people and like all that be situated, but can I wait till church is over? Like, what, like stop the middle of the sacrifice? Jesus was making this, this statement that our relationship with God hinges on our relationship with others. We can't be good with God and be bad with others. We can't go, hey, God, we're good, right? Like, I, I prayed all the prayers. I did all the things. I, I said all this. But I really, I, I, I still hate that person. The Bible says it this way in 1 John 4.20. If someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a what? A liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we can't see? That's a game changer. Wait a, wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute. So you're telling me I can't be good with you and continue to be a terrible person to them? Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, Danny, you don't understand my situation. You don't know what they've done. You don't know what I've been through. You're right. I don't. You're right. But what Jesus is saying to us in this, if you're dealing with guilt, if you're carrying that guilt, perhaps it's because there's something on your side of the story that you've needed to confess. Maybe there's something on your side of the situation that you feel like, man, I can't get over this. Why? Maybe there's a part of your life that part of the story, a part of the situation that you know if you confess your part of it, maybe, maybe something would change. Maybe there would be reconciliation there. Perhaps there's more to it. You see, when, when we're willing to confess our mistakes to people that we've sinned against, you create an opportunity for healing. You create, create an opportunity for the Lord to do something. But here's, the, here's the deal. They may not care. They may not want to still be your friend. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you, you've got to be, everything has to be peachy keen and roses and flowers with every single person. But in regards to guilt, Jesus is saying to us, hey, if you're still carrying that guilt, if you believe I forgive you for it, but you're still being impacted by it, perhaps it's because you didn't say something that you needed to say. Perhaps you didn't confess your mistake in this situation. And again, you may go to that person and it's been 10 years. You know that there's still beef there and you go, listen, I know this is random. I know you don't want to talk to me and that's totally fine, but I just need you to know from me, I did this in this situation. And I feel like maybe is the reason why our relationship fell apart. Maybe I needed to own my piece of it. And hey, this doesn't mean that we have to go sing Kumbaya and everything's all good from here. I just needed you to know that I am sorry. And I recognize that in myself and I'm gonna try to do better with the rest of my relationships. I'm sorry that I hurt you in that way. You didn't deserve that and I should have been better. As long as our lives are run by guilt, Jesus can't truly lead us 
in the way that he wants you. He can't be that true leader of our life. I, I read it this way. As long as you're carrying a secret, as long as you're trying to ease your conscience by telling God how sorry you are, you're setting yourself up to repeat the past. But confession, the way that God designed it, breaks the cycle of sin and guilt. They may have hurt you way more than you hurt them. But if you still feel guilty, perhaps there's something that you needed to confess in that. Perhaps there's something that you need to say when you're part in your marriages. Is there something hidden in your heart that's impacting your relationship? Is there something hidden in your heart that, that your husband, your wife, if they knew that's what you were dealing with, if they knew that, that they had hurt you in that way, if you were transparent enough to share what was happening, maybe things would be different. In your family, is there a hurt, a moment, a mistake that's built this wall between you and them? Is there something on your side of it that you could own? It doesn't mean that you were totally at fault. It doesn't mean that it's not 97% them. But if you're carrying guilt in that relationship, there's that little 3% that you can do something about. I saw, I saw this team member at, at Target this week. It's amazing what you see in line. And this girl, as I was walking in, was panicking, like full-on panic mode. And she's like, I can't believe they told them that. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. And they just get louder and louder and louder. And essentially what happened is that this girl had just started her job at Target and she started talking bad about these certain coworkers. And the girl she was talking with went and told the coworkers and she was freaking out. Like, and so I went and got what I needed to get. I got my protein shake because I like going to the gym. And I got my protein shake and I got in the self-checkout line and I was standing there and she was talking with the manager and she's literally shaking like a leaf. And he's like, what is going on? She's like, I can't believe they told him. That's so disrespectful of them. What are you going to do about it? And he's like, you said it. You, you created this situation. You have to go and own it. I can't fix your problem. You did it. And I just wonder how many times in our life it's the same thing that our lives, we're, we're shaking on the inside by our situations and what's happening. And we're not owning our part in the problem. We're not owning our side of the story that can bring healing and restoration from the guilt that we face. My challenge for you today as we close is that you're willing to take that step, that you're willing to have the courage to have that conversation, that you're willing to confess to whoever or whatever. Just pray, God, is there something that I need to confess? Because, man, I still feel guilty. I know they were wrong, but I still feel guilty. God, is there anything that I need to confess to them? Because I understand I may be good with you, but I'm not good with them. And I know that you're not okay with that. So God, is there anything that I need to confess? Let's pray together. <laughs> Jesus, I, I thank you that, man, you always take things to the next level. Like it, we should think that as long as we're good with you, that everything should be good with everybody. But I thank you that you, you 
challenge us to go even further. You challenge us not to just try to make things right with you and try to clear our quote-unquote sin bucket, God, that it's not about that. When you were pressed on what the greatest commandments in the world were, you said love God and love people. So God, I pray that you help us to love people better this week. God, I pray for every person in this room right now that's carrying guilt in their life. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give them the courage to confess whatever it is that they need to confess. God, I pray for every single one of us in our relationship that you would give us the courage to be transparent, that you would allow us to share what it is that we need to share, that we'll slowly shine a light on the guilt that's trying to run our lives. God, I pray right now that you would give every person in this room the clarity of words to explain what it is that they need to say. God, that the emotions that are trying to run their life wouldn't cloud the message that they're trying to deliver. God, I thank you in Romans 8, 1, that you say that we are not condemned. There's no condemnation for those who love you. God, you aren't looking at us angry or frustrated or saying you're horrible people. You're looking at us going, my child, I want you to be free. Thank you that you don't push us away. Thank you that you call us to confess and allow you to lead us. Jesus, we love you. Be with us this week. We pray all of this in your strong and your mighty name. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.